Welcome to the Guna Ramble, a Guna's World podcast. No gimmicks, no satire, just a little bit Arsenal. Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Guna Ramble with me, your host, Jizza. And on this week's show, we will be discussing the impending Puma deal, or the likely impending Puma deal, the return of Fia Walcott after two months out, and also we'll be discussing Arsenal's traditions, the new club suits uh, tailored by Lanvan, Lanvan, and the small issue of uh, Matthew Flamini, uh, going against the captain's orders and cutting his, his sleeve shirt uh, short. So uh, we'll be discussing that. Joining me tonight will be uh, Mo Hader once again. Um, we've also got um, Rick, that's Golfing Guna, and also Leodi, uh, that's uh, at uh, Pirelli24 on Twitter. Good evening, Phyllis. How are you all? Not too bad, thank you very much. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, then, so let's, um, without further ado, let's get on to the... Uh, Impending Puma deal. Uh, Mo, you wrote a very extensive piece on our blog site. Um, when you about... say that, it makes it sound like you thought it was boring. <laughs> no, I found it a riveting read, and, <laughs> and a lot of people see it on Twitter and social media seem to find it quite a, a riveting read as well, whether whether yeah. they were in favour or otherwise. So you know, it, it got very, it got a lot of coverage, a lot of feedback. Yeah, so luckily, it seemed to uh, it, it seemed to be something of interest to a lot of people, something mm. that we all know is on the horizon, but. People don't really know a lot about, and um, you know, when people have given their opinion of it, it's, it's, to me, it's always seemed like a bit of guesswork and mm. just a repetition of what other people have said. So I thought I'd do a bit of analysis, and really, more importantly, a bit of comparative analysis and compare it to the other big clubs, and also Tottenham. I thought I'd just chuck them in there as well. <laughs> so um, yeah, it got quite a lot of discussion started mm. on Twitter. Mm. Um, I'd say generally good feedback. One person uh, wasn't happy about it at all, at all. but apart from that, it was uh, received fairly well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just going on the debate that you had with with that, that individual, I'm going to play devil's advocate. And you know, you were saying that basically, even Gazidis, he, you would say that he was mediocre at best. Um, yeah. I suppose when you look at his background and his history, his his background is from a commercial uh, sort of marketing uh, uh, point of view. And you your your argument was that. If that's the case, he's not really done anything. He's not really made any great shakes. He's got market rate deals, which I suppose com- in, compar- in comparison to our rivals, isn't really sort of, he's not really sort of pushed the boat out. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think he's basically, all, all I'd say is that he's uh, done the bare minimum, mm-hmm. but unfortunately on top of that, he's made some uh, very, very poor uh, calls, you know, real errors of judgment. And, um, you know, as, as an example, the financial firepower comments, you know, that, that was a schoolboy error. Mm. You just simply don't go and tell people you want to buy something off how much money you've got to spend mm. uh, or brag about how much you've got on your wallet. Um, the second one as well, the fact that he sanctioned a um, £40 million bid where he clearly couldn't have read anything himself and uh, been satisfied because... Well, and it proved to be complete rubbish. And if he did, well, then it's a mistake anyway. The fact of the matter is, the fact that that bit got made, in my opinion, he didn't do his job as a CEO because he should have known 
that it was a silly bid. You shouldn't be doing that. It, it, was, it was embarrassing for the club. So, you know, two very, very glaring errors there. And on top of that, um, commercially, I, I don't think that he's really pushed on as much as what I hoped, yet he's taken a 675k bonus in 2012, a 450k bonus in 2013. So, you know, it, that just doesn't sit right with me, so I'm not his biggest fan. Right. But, but the, the the article was the Puma deal, a comparative analysis. Yeah. You, you've added, you've bolted on um, arguments that's relating to other other issues aside from the Puma deal. So if we take the Puma deal first and foremost, sure. um, you're saying it's, 30, it's likely that it's going to be 30 to 34 million a year over five years. Yep. Um, your assessment of that is, it's, it's actually well, quite I, a good assessment, I, I actually, just, I thought, I, I can take considering. You through, um, what, what I did for, for the benefit of anyone that kind of didn't read it. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I, my point was, um, any kit manufacturer deal is, um, very, going to be very, very complex. There's going to be so many clauses and, um, you know, uh, conditions within the, uh, the contract that the two parties will come to. But for us on the outside, all we see is the total value of the contract and the length of the contract. And they are the two most important things. So in order to judge um, how effective clubs have been in terms of sealing kit deals, you can't really go on these two measures because they're the ones that matter. Mm-hmm. Now, Arsenal have um, signed up the premium deal, as you said, 30 to 34 million for five years. So I thought I'd compare that against all the other clubs. Mm-hmm. And what I did was to um, give each club a rating on how um, good their deal is that they've struck. Um, so I guess if it won't bore people too much, uh, I'll, I'll just mention the clubs that mm-hmm. I uh, used for a comparison and uh, the ratings that they gave and just you know, a few seconds on why. Sure. So the first one, Man City, 12 million a year over six years. Um, it was a deal that was signed with Nike, but the, the little catch to that is because it is very poor performance, 12 million a year. You know, they're seriously uh, lacking behind their rivals. But the reason why that might be is because Nike owned Umbro when they sealed, when they signed that deal and then Nike sold Umbro. So it wasn't a true negotiation in terms of a brand new partner. It shifted from, uh, Nike holding company of Umbro to Nike when they sold Umbro because Nike wanted to retain that sponsorship. So um, it wasn't true negotiation, but in any case, 12, 12 million a year for a club that is now competing is really, really poor. So I gave them a 2 out of 10. So if you compare that to Arsenal, obviously Arsenal look great, but you know we'll come to um, other clubs where it puts Arsenal into a bit more of a perspective. And feel free to interrupt me if you have any sure. comments or questions at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, the next club was Tottenham. Um, they're not in our league quite simply commercially, 10 million a year over five years with Under Armour. You know, Under Armour should have been paying a premium for the fact that they have no presence in the league other than Tottenham. So uh, Tottenham, really, uh, I would have thought they could do better than that, especially given um, that over the last, you know, four or five years, they have actually been performing better than what they have previously. So, you know, the signs were there to for them, I think, to put a bit more um, strength into them negotiations. So I, I gave them a four out of ten based on the fact that, you know, let's face it, they, they haven't got the rich history that we have. They've got two league titles. We've won the place at their we've won the league at their place twice. You know, that puts things into perspective in terms of how they can call the shots and whether they're an elite club. Clearly they're not. Um, Man United, 25, 25 million a year over ten years with Nike. It's one that they signed um in two thousand eleven. Um but the fact of the matter is ten years 
really limits you, especially in the footballing world, because the rate of inflation in the football world is huge. So if you're going to sign yourself into a contract for 10 years, then you will start missing out on the increases uh, that exist in football. It seems to me like every new deal that gets signed is a record deal. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, if you're not going to sign a deal for 10 years because you're signed into a long-term long-term contract, you're going to be missing out on uh, opportunities to make gains. So I gave them a five and a half out of ten. Liverpool was an interesting one. Twenty-five million a year over six years with Warrior. When you consider that Man United signed a ten-year deal for twenty-five million with Nike, and Liverpool signed a twenty-five million twenty-five million deal with um, Warrior for six years, level pegging in terms of the amount. But Liverpool have managed to pull off a six-year deal with United, pulling off a ten-year deal, which means that Liverpool will be able to renegotiate and get a higher. Um, a contract much sooner than Man United will. And the, the real differentiating factor for me was the difference in the two clubs and their fortunes. Liverpool have obviously not achieved as much success as Man United have in recent years. So mm-hmm. I think for them to strike the same amount with a lower con- with a uh, lower length of contract was a huge success in their commercial department. And they've actually done really well on that. Mm-hmm. Hence 8.5 out of 10. Now it comes to the kind of the interesting uh, one interesting comparison between Arsenal and Chelsea because Chelsea signed a deal this year similar to when Arsenal signed their deal or announced their deal or the rumours came out that sort of thing and Chelsea's were 30 million a year for 10 years with Adidas now again Adidas don't have a presence in England with one of the elite clubs so that's Chelsea's the only one so I would have thought Chelsea can exert a bit more power in the negotiations um Yet they signed the 30 million for 10 years. So again, you know, I think we'll see in four, five, six years time when other clubs start renegotiating their deals that Chelsea will be lagging behind. And again, on that basis, I gave them a five and a half out of 10 because 10 years simply for me isn't good business. If, if you're, if you think that you're going to be slipping down the table and you're going to be less attractive to sponsors, then yeah, sign yourself into a long-term deal. But if you think you're going to be competing, you want the deals to be renegotiated at short intervals so you can keep on top of that inflation in football. Now, Arsenal's deal 30 to 34 million a year over five years with Puma. Again, similar to the Chelsea one in that Puma is the only, the only represented with the elite clubs with Arsenal. Um, so again, that should have given Arsenal a bit more bargaining power. And I would have liked to have seen Arsenal extract more out of the deal. But the, the one saving grace of that deal is the five years. I think that's, um, very, very good. So, you know, I talk about the inflation in football again and within five years we'll be able to get on top of that and renegotiate a new deal and hopefully an, another uplift on the 30 million. However, I, I do think given our history, given the fact that we're ever present in the Champions League for the last 15 years, we've signed Mesa Ozil, we're competing for the league, I, I was disappointed that it wasn't slightly higher. Um, so, you know, I, I looked at the Chelsea and Arsenal one and I thought, well, Currently, it's a market rate deal. Um, hopefully, the renewal will be even better when, when it comes to the end of the five years. But currently, it's a market rate deal. And I, I gave it a 7 out of 10. And the reason it's a 7 out of 10 and not higher is because Man United recently signed an extension with Nike. And this is where you, you look at them and you say, right, this is the commercial part uh, department that knows what they're doing. They managed to strike a £60 million a year deal for five years with Nike. It seems like they've really turned the screw with Nike and said, look, you know, you've had a £25 million for 10 years, so we want uh, an extension. And really whilst that, what that has done, if you take the 10 years at £25 million and the five years at £60 million, it's averaged them out to £40 million a year. And that's 33% more than what we've just signed with Puma. Um, Nike, they've got Man City, 
as well. So you would have thought that maybe their resources are split between the two, but Man United have really, really pulled this one out of the bag. So uh, I've given them a 10 out of 10 for that because it is a phenomenal deal, the 60 million year at five years. And after that um, complete contract with Nike is over, they'll be able to say, well, you know, we'll start from our 60 million base, whilst Arsenal's base is 30 million. So that kind of shows the disparity. I mean, I'm, I'm not um, under any false kind of uh, pretense in that they are different animals. Man United have got a huge global presence, but um, Man United did a uh, survey at one point to determine how big they are globally, and the survey was an absolute joke. Uh, cut a long story short, they extrapolated that to a huge number of people, but the actual number of people that they surveyed was, you know, uh, very small. So. I personally think they had no right to go and then times that by the global population and say it applies to everyone. Mm. So, um, you know, they, they pull off little tricks like that in order to support their negotiations. Uh, and really all you can say is, well, fair play. If Nike have bought it, then they've done a good job. And unfortunately, Arsenal haven't been able to achieve that. So I think mm. it's a market rate deal, 7 out of 10. Uh, we did say it's 30 to 34 million. If it goes to that 34 million, I'd notch it up a little bit more. But I've taken the prudent estimate of 30 million and... Um, conclusion is that yeah unfortunately it is a market rate deal all right before i cut back in does do uh, rick or, or leo do you guys have any thoughts on mo's uh, analysis i just uh what i i thought it was a very good article i i think a lot of people sometimes overlook length of contract and i i know from working in in a technology field that length of contract is huge to be able to re- renegotiate quicker when prices are in your favor that that's a huge benefit um i'm wondering how much um, added, you know, how much more potential could be derived from, from companies that don't have a presence in the Premier League? I know that's one of the things you, you touched upon, that somebody trying to break into the Premier League, you would expect to get a premium out of them in order to, you know, to, to break that. Exactly. Um, what is your take on, on really how much of a premium we could get by working with somebody who's just trying to break into the market? Well, it's a tough one to call, but I think you have to take all all factors uh, put together. Um, and really, given Arsenal's history, the fact that we're in the Champions League, that's the elite competition. You know, this is where Puma will want their uh, logo to be seen to the world. And um, the fact that we're currently leading the league with just like Mesut Ozil, that will shift shirts like anything. You know, I, I just think they... they we put together such a good proposition for a, a kit manufacturer that, you know, it's not the same as if Tottenham are doing it. You know, Tottenham did it with Under Armour, but they, they, they can't command a premium like we can. And I just would have expected, um, you know, if Chelsea are signing 30 million a year with Adidas and Arsenal signing 30 million a year with Puma, Man United shouldn't be signing 60 million a year with Nike. The difference between the two is too much. So I was thinking an uplift. I, I was expecting 30 million from our Puma deal. But for me, that is what uh, the minimum was. And I wanted kind of a 10, 15% uplift on that. Um, given the signing of Ozil, given the fact that uh, Puma are only represented by us. And I know that this deal may have been done before um, we signed Ozil, but if the club has plans to spend um, you know, 40 million on a player, you don't make that decision in a week. That, that, that would be a decision a long time in the making. Arsenal would have known for the last 12 months that, yeah, they are prepared to do this. And I would have hoped that they would kind of factor these things in with uh, Puma to say that, you know, if we sign a world-class player, you know, of, of, of 
above of this value, for example, and it drives this many shirt sales, then I want these clauses to be part of the deal. Now, you know, none of us can say conclusively whether it is or not, but I guess when we sign the deal and Arsenal release the actual um, agreement, if it is 30 million, I will be disappointed because I'd hope that we extract more value out of that. Okay, uh, Leo? Oh, I think we touched on most of the points for the topic. <laughs> right, okay, cool. <laughs> Just trying to stay awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. I've got, I've got another uh, comment that I guess goes beyond the Puma deal and more back to Gazidis and his performance thus far. Uh, because I'm in agreement, his performance has been rather average. You know, it's been lackluster. And, and I started thinking that back when uh, they renegotiated the Emirates naming rights deal when it wasn't even, hadn't even come to term yet. Mm-hmm. And I was really disappointed in, in the money we got out of that and the fact that we renegotiated it early. Um, I guess looking for a little quick hit and really probably damaged ourselves long term. I don't have the numbers in front of me for what that amounted to, but I, I think it was even, that was pretty disappointing. We got, so much I so that right, when I initially saw the Puma deal, I thought, oh wow, he's done something good. I think we got um, 150 million for the new deal with the Emirates, uh, which is, I think is about 30 million a year. Um, for the shirt and stadium sponsorship. So it was a combined shirt and stadium sponsorship, which, um, yeah. which is like over five years, which isn't really massive. When you, when you no, I, I, I agree. When I first saw it, I was rather disappointed. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't, I know this Puma deal was an improvement upon that. Still not great, but, but decent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I agree. Gazidis has thus far been rather lackluster in his performance, yeah. and I just wanted to touch on that. All right. can I, can Definitely, I, can I agree. I, One thing that I think really, really displays that very well uh, outside of the Puma deal is just the general amount of commercial partners each club has got. And um, Arsenal have got 50, and I've done the same comparative analysis with the same teams. So there's six teams. Arsenal are fifth out of six. We've got 15, Tottenham have got 11. So again, that displays that, yeah, they're, they're not really in the same league, but, you know, we always want to do the Arsenal-Tottenham comparison because we always come out on top, so that's just a bit of fun more than anything. Mm-hmm. But in terms of Man U, Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City, it's 31, 19, 18 and 17 respectively. Then we've got 15. And what worries me, Man City and Chelsea do not need to be working hard to be extracting value out of their brand because because of their ownership structure. Arsenal need to be really working to... Um, you know, our brand is an infinite resource and we should really be extracting uh, revenue out of that. And with 15 commercial partners, we're not doing that. Mm. Man United have got 31. Mm. And yeah, I, ju- I just think that definitely more needs to be done and Gazidis isn't doing enough. Okay. Well, um, let's look at the old deal, the previous night deal. The previous night deal we were getting was 8 million a year. 8 million a year. Terrible. Mm. It's even yeah. worse than what Man City were get- are getting currently. Very um, cool, yeah. I think that it seems to I me, mean, we don't know all the facts, but it seems like uh, Nike drive a hard, apart from Man United, Nike, um, and probably Barcelona, might Nike drive a hard bargain. Um, it, why would you want to shift from Nike to Puma unless they're not willing to pay you money? So the, the, the shift from Nike to Puma, for me, looking at it as a Nike, so looking in, seems to be that Nike weren't prepared to go three, four times over what they were uh, currently paying. Um, yeah. Puma be putting an offer on the table. We couldn't go to Puma and say, well, United, uh, Man United's getting whatever we want, 50, 60 million a year. I think when you look at the uplift from 8 million to 30 million, let's take the prudent term analysis. That's, you know, that's nearly four times what you're getting. That's quite a good, imp- that's quite a good uplift, I think. And five years, sure. a medium term, my five years is a very, you know, it's, it's what you call a safe medium term deal. You know, you've, you've given yourself enough flexibility to 
So you know, change mid going, you know, mid, mid, midway, mid, mid, midway. You can you can look at things midway through and think, well, all right, two, three years down the line, you know, we'll, we'll start canvassing new, 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 new contracts. Um, come towards the end of the five years. Interject there, G. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, the the bargain that Nike uh, kind of offer or the bargain that they drive, mm. um, in terms of shirt sales, and this is what kit manufacturer will be really interested in. Man United and Barcelona sell more shirts than we do, but we're third under their uh, kind of uh, umbrella of clubs. Mm. So uh, we I think we shift about eight hundred thousand shirts every year. Mm. Now, if if we're third behind United, I don't know United's figure, but I just think. If they're not willing to come near to that Puma offer and they're willing to give United 60 million, you know, they, I, I just think we've underperformed over quite a while. And the money that we were on with Nike before, again, hints at underperformance. So I want to see us pull off a masterstroke. And the last masterstroke I can, imagine, I can remember Arsenal putting off was in the property market. Right. You know, we, we haven't done it commercially. Mm. And uh, that I just feel like we're really lacking that. Well, yeah, okay, well, it's a different, I, I think they've done alright, I think Gazidis on that score's done alright, you know, the, 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 the 8 million a year deal was signed under a previous, previous regime, which is a, some people say is a Dean regime, um, done alright on that score. I think, um, as somebody said to you on Twitter, they said that you have to wait a couple of years to see if we can get the bolt on some more added on secondary deals like what Man United are getting, so, you know, hopefully with, once, if and when this deal is announced, it will make us even more viably attractive to other sponsors who, who other uh, companies and partners who want to uh, work in partnership with us. So, you know, the, the, it could be, the, the wheels could be turning. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of, yeah, you know. I hope so. I mean, know. we signed a deal recently with BT Sports, so mm. we notched up another commercial partner. Mm. Um, I, I just, I don't have much faith. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully it will uh, begin to take a bit more yeah. pace. For me, I think that's his, that's his forte. That's his, we're looking at his CV. That's his specialism. He's done, you know, he, he struck up on a number of good uh, commercial partners with the MLS. So I, I think obviously for me, he seems to know what he's doing in that. I'm just going to, I think I'm going to, mine's is a, a wait and see policy. I want to see what he goes, what he does over the next couple of years. I also noticed that, um, on Twitter, uh, some fella come on Twitter. I can't remember his name, Super Bob or someone. And he said that Man United actually have 80, a team of 80 in their commercial department or marketing department, which is, um, it's quite, it's quite a huge number. A team of 80 people working on, on deals. You know, I don't know how much, how many staff we have employed for, uh, at Arsenal, uh, in, in, the, in the same department, but, um, you know, we, we're definitely, we, Man United definitely are a few notches, you know, they're, they're, they're an aggressive BMOF when it comes to, you know, um, looking for new deals. They, they don't think twice about, you know, chopping, you know, c- uh, curtailing a deal, paying a fine or penalty if, if it means, you know, cutting a deal early, or, you know, cutting off a deal early and going, going for somebody else like they did. Was it, was it with Chrysler or someone? They, they, um, they, they stopped the deal early, didn't they? So that they could get in with another company. Chevrolet. Chevrolet or something. That's it. Yeah. You know, so. And also, you know, when I talk about these master strokes and this real commercial kind of, uh, dynamism, that their, what they did with their training kit, getting that sponsored by DHL, yeah, yeah. no one had ever thought of that. Before. Exactly. That was groundbreaking. It was. As is this 60 million a year, it's absolutely groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is where, for me, the envy comes in, and I want Arsenal to start doing this sort of stuff. Yeah. Until they do start doing something a bit innovative, a bit groundbreaking, I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, understand, I, I completely get it. I mean, they you know, they've got the training. I think we can even, why don't we sponsor London Coney or something? You know what I mean? Get as yeah, many, exactly. you exactly. know, it sounds ludicrous, but get as much, um, 
extract as much money as you can from these partners. If they want to, yeah. they want to tag on to us. So why not? You know, especially if we want to remain sustainable. Exactly. And compete at the top. Where I do absolutely agree with you is in is in the footballing side of things. I mean, we had Ed Barker from United rant on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that um, Ed Woodward, who's the who's um, even Gazidis's co- contemporary. Uh, he came in over the summer and he didn't have a bloody clue, didn't have a dicky bird how to operate in the transfer market. And looking at Gazidis and what he said about Bayern Munich, we know we've got the same kind of, you know, firepower as Bayern Munich or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And then letting all and sundry know how much we, you know, that we had a lot of money to, to spend. It just, you know, it backfired terribly in his face. The whole summer was only saved really by everybody working, you know, uh, you know, um, putting their finger out to secure the, um, the Ertzil deal. You know, if not for that deal, we would have had a very, very mediocre, well, was it, it would have been a disastrous summer, really, in it terms of yeah. transfer and Also, let, let's not kid ourselves that a lot of that was convenience and consequence. Yeah. The, the fact that that happened, you know, it was yeah. convenient for Madrid to sell to us. They needed to fund a transfer. Yeah. Uh, the timing of it all. Yeah. If Levy had his way and he delayed it a bit more, we would be really struggling right yeah. now, I think. I mean, it, so, um, it, it was an opportunist deal. It was a, it was a master street deal. I mean, we could have been, we could have had, uh, Johan Kabay instead of, uh, <laughs> Edzil. Yeah. But, you know. but my point is mm. that it, it wasn't planned. Um, yeah. it wasn't sort of some sort of master plan that we had. Yeah. A lot of it was just a bit of luck. Yeah. And, you know, I, this, this January, I want to see us put off a, a master stroke, you know, like yeah. when we sign Sol Campbell, when we sign Dennis Bergkamp, that sort of thing. Yeah. I want that sort of performance in the transfer window this January, not not a bit of reactionary luck to other teams' deals. Well, you'd hope that you know the experience that they that they they went through over the summer would stand them in better stead. You, 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 you try not to make the same mistake twice. So hopefully, you, going forward, you say that, but you know we've had other shocking transfer windows as well. So. Yeah, well, we, we, now we've got the money, so you know we've got the money, and they've had they. You you got to think that, you know, they've they've learned, you know, um, and and we can only hope really that they 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 um, conduct themselves in a more um, organised, strategic manner. What do you guys think, uh, Rick, Leo? Leo, are you sleeping? No, I'm <laughs> We need no, to get I away think, from the commercial stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about it in, you know, in length on previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my, I made my point before. I think that the team needs to have more of a plan going into the summer mm-hmm. and uh, play their cards a little closer to their chest and not let everybody know what we're after and how much we're willing to pay before we even open the window. I mean, it, like Mo was saying, that's pretty foolish to do. Mm-hmm. You know, announce to the world that I'm here to buy some some candy and I've got fifty dollars in my pocket. Well, all right, that candy bar is gonna cost you fifty bucks. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just silly. Now, you know, I think given some time, given a few years, or hopefully not a few years, but you know, some time working together, we'll get our commercial deals and our processes in line a little bit better. Cool. All right. Okay, let's move on. Um, let's move on to the Arsenal traditions. You know, uh, in, a lot, in the last couple of days, we've seen the new Arsenal uh, first team squad uh, in their uh, in their brand new Lan Lan Van uh, 
suits looking very dapper. Um, uh, recently, we've seen uh, Mesut Ozil and the boys uh, mentoring match day um, on match day um, into the Arsenal uh, Stadium. We're wearing, uh, uh, you know, the, the club suits and looking extremely, you know, well 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 suited. Um, it seems as though the club have now began to embark on 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 following those traditions that were set in place by previous uh, managers in previous eras um what do you guys think about this whole new um policy of wearing club suits at home matches for the league and champions league and, and do you think that we should do that home and away i'll ask uh let me ask rick first of all rick what do you reckon i love the fashion sense i i, I like the suits i like i like the formality of it um I mean, you're only wearing it to the stadium. It's it's not like you have to wear it all day long. Um, so I'm 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 in favor of it. I I actually like this kind of thing. And I know, especially over here in the United States, we have we have players that that wear outlandish suits all the time, um, and that's fun as well. Um, but uh, having a sense of of team, a, a sense of uh, formality about it, um, as long as it looks good, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Leah? Yeah, I agree with Rick. You know, and bringing back some tradition is always nice. And, and you know, it's not like it's something that the guys are going out there and playing, and it's just something they're wearing onto their coach and then when they're walking into the locker room or changing room or whatever you guys call it over there. Um, so it's not that big of a deal for the players. It's not really an inconvenience, so why not do it? And I find personally that when I'm well-dressed, I carry myself with a little bit more confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a shame we didn't have Jesper on for the show because – being a tailor himself, yeah. he'd probably tell you that, you know, hey, he's all for it, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Exactly. Yeah, the suit makes the man, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mo, what do you think? Do you think they should, are you happy with them just wearing it for the home league and Champions League matches? Or do you think they should wear it home and away? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's a nice touch. You know, I, I think our club is, uh, you know, a, a very classy club. We do things the right way. And it's, I think it's in, in keeping with um, our club. But I don't really understand the logic of not doing it away. Um, mm. if, if it's a good thing at home, surely it's a good thing away. Exactly. So I, I'm all for it. I don't really understand why we're not doing it away either. Exactly. I, I had a discussion, a short discussion with somebody on Twitter, and they said, oh, maybe it's not viable because of the, the long coach trips. And I thought, well, the only game, the furthest coach domestic uh, game away you're, going, you're playing is, is, is Newcastle. And the coaches nowadays are probably, you know, <laughs> a lot more luxurious than they used to be. You know, I don't think... Um, and doesn't Arson wear a suit on the coach? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I see no reason why we shouldn't be home and away. And like you guys say, you know, the suit makes the man. You feel a lot more confident. People look at you, you know, the, you know, the, you have this air about you, you know. It was, it happened in previous eras and I don't see why it shouldn't happen in, in this era. Um, so we're all in agreement. Let's move on to uh, another uh, aspect of the article tradition and um, this whole furore uh, about uh, Flamini cutting his sleeve short, his sleeve short at the Man United game. Now, uh, traditionally, club captain chooses whether they, the team wears long or short sleeves. Um, as it was, um, it was said that uh, Flamini took to a pair of scissors and made like Edward Scissorhands and decided to go against the... Um, tradition of of wearing what the club the captain wanted this in uh brought uh vicky acres into the argument and they had a, a bit of a set two for which uh bakary sanya piped up and sided with vicky acres apparently the rest of the squad didn't really have a 
They didn't really have an opinion either way. So what do you think, guys? Do you think um, Flamini was wrong to go against the grain? Do you think it 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 it, it um it's it's a, it, you know he's disrespected club tradition. I mean, on Twitter somebody said uh, you know they were going. I think there was, there was a bit of an overreaction. They were saying you know his poppies on this you know he's, he, he, you know th- it was a it was a special top because it had a poppy on it. And I thought well it's not like he's used black ink and scribbled out the poppy. You know he hasn't defaced you know the poppy. He's only just kind of put took scissors to his to his to his shirt. So I just wanted to ask you guys what do you think? I mean are you are you with the whole um, thing about club tradition and he should have followed orders or do you not really care? I mean, it's more about the, what you do in the match. Uh, let me put that to you, uh, uh, Mo, first of all. Oh, well, you know, I, I was quite frustrated about all of this, you know, um, not so much because of uh, what's happened, but the, the reaction of some fans or some so-called fans, um, to, to the whole incident. Because, you know, some, some of the stuff that was coming out of fans' mouths or keyboards, should I say, it almost looked like they were United fans. Um, the fact that they were really slating Flamini, laying into him. I just thought it was a bit uncalled for. He doesn't need to become a hate figure for this. Yeah, he's done something a bit silly. He should have followed the rules. That's what we expect. But he's, he doesn't deserve to be, um, you know, made into a hate figure, as I said. Um, in terms of should he have cut his sleeves off, obviously, no, you should respect the rules. That, that's quite obvious and it's, it's a given. But the fact that he's done it, I mean, just let's keep a bit of perspective here and uh, yeah, just have a word, tell him not to do it again. If he does it again, the club will take the action necessary. Um, the, the whole ethos behind uh, everyone having the same uh, length of sleeves, I, I, I do find that a bit strange, to be honest with you, because why not let players just be comfortable on the pitch? You know, fair enough, the captain decides it, and fine, if that's a tradition, fair enough. But I'm just asking the question as to why that tradition exists. Some people prefer to wear long sleeves, others don't. So, just just a question, maybe you guys can answer it for me. Why does it need to be uh, all the same? Uh, go ahead, uh, Leo. You, 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 you're a sports coach. You must, also, you know, you, you're big on discipline and whatnot. You can answer that first. <laughs> well, I, if, if you want to speak to the discipline side of it, I will just say that you know, it, it, in order to play that card, you have to have well-established rules ahead of time and set the expectations ahead of time. If that was not communicated to Flamini, I'm not going to hold it against him that he went against tradition if it was not made clear how important it was. But on the flip side, if he did know the tradition and he did know the importance and then he still chose to go against it, then yeah, then you can you can come down with a disciplinary hammer. But um, I'm with Mo, though, on the whole, you know, I don't quite understand why it's such a big issue. You know, it, if a player decides that he wants to wear sleeves under his jersey, is he not allowed? You know, what happened, what was the case with, uh, you know, sorry to bring up the name, but, you know, when Nasri was wearing his uh, snoot or whatever they called it, you know, why was that not against tradition? You know, he wasn't wearing the exact same uniform as everybody else. So, I mean, it just, it seems kind of frivolous to me. Um, I can understand you know, being a little bit of a touchy subject with the commemorative jersey for Remembrance Day. But to me, it's not a big issue. You know, I don't know the inner workings of what was communicated to Flamini beforehand, so I'm not going to pass judgment based on it. Uh, Rick? Well, uh, I I actually think he would have should have wore the long sleeves if that's what the captain decided. Uh, he probably should have done it. However... He, he took scissors to his sleeves. He probably did this in the dressing room. Somebody had to have seen it. Mm-hmm. They should have addressed this before the game. Um, 
apparently the the players didn't care or the players weren't as as in tune to the tradition as Acres and 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 Bakery were but um they probably should have addressed it before the game started mm-hmm. um knowing Flamini though that that fits his style I'm surprised he didn't rip him off with his teeth but um <laughs> he's he's just that kind of character but but I think you should have respected the captain's decision and I, but I also think it should have been handled within you know within the locker room within the dressing room I don't you know, this is one of those things that should never have made it to to a tabloid. Um, I also find it strange that, that we just agree they all need. They, it is really cool. They all wear the same suits, and then are saying, "Well, they don't have to wear the same jersey." So I'm going to have to go against the grain on that and say he should have worn the long sleeves because that's what everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. Just just to let you know, whilst we've been uh, talking about this, I've googled pictures. I've just googled Arsenal lineup, and um, you know, generally when you see the team lined up on the pitch. 99% of the time, they, yeah, they are actually all wearing the same uh, length sleeves. I've seen one picture here, just coincidentally, where Arsenal are playing Man City. Um, I can't remember. I, I, I don't know what the date of the game is. But they're all wearing long... long they're not actually wearing long sleeves. Arshavin is definitely right at the front. He's wearing... Oh, no, wait. Sorry, that's a mascot. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I thought it was Arshavin because he's so small, but it's a mascot. <laughs> You know so, what? You know what? I'm noticing is the whole. Me. Just going off on a tangent, the whole this these little grasses <laughs> that are appearing in squads these days. You have got the the grass of the uh, who grassed up um, Roy Hodgson with the whole space monkey thing, and you know now this. I mean, what did they gain out of it? I mean, the thing is, they leak it to the press. They want to re- remain anonymous. I mean, that's just that's that's cowardly in my book. You know what I mean? It's but, the age of the internet troll, is it not? Yeah, true that. Very true. It's just, it's just, it's just quite, it's just quite irritating. So cowardly. But anyway, moving on. We've heard that, uh, Wojciech Chesney has signed a new long-term deal. I don't know how much he's, he's getting paid, but, you know, some people on social media say it's a hundred grand a week. Do you think he's done enough to deserve the new deal? And, um, should we speculate on how much he got paid or how much he said to get paid? Um, what do you think? Uh, let me start with you, Rick. I'm not going to speculate on how much he's getting paid. I've, I've seen the rumors out there. Somebody suggesting, oh, he's getting a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand pound a week, which I think would be ridiculous. Uh, I, I agree that's too much, but I'm happy he signed a long term deal. I think he's uh, he had a bit of a, a purple patch there, but he's uh, he's showing that he can be a, a pretty good uh, pretty good goalkeeper. Um, I'm, I'm sure Leody can be a little more critical with a little more uh, trained eye than than I, because mm. I was never a goalkeeper. Um, but I, but I just uh, some of me wants that that nutter back, the the guy that was a little bit crazy. Um, I, I know. In, in seasons past, I, I, I forget what game it was, but he, he clattered into a striker. Um, it got the ball. It was a perfectly legal tackle. The striker's laying there crying. Chesney gets up, gives a little wink to Kishel. Yeah. I love that. But we conceded the goal is, from that. Where has that guy gone? That's what I want to know. 
Didn't we concede a goal from that or something though? That I remember that incident. I remember that incident. I think we might have conceded a goal from that from the from the ensuing corner or whatever. But I do I do recall that. I did think I re- I did laugh to myself when he did that. He sort of winked to Koscielny or somebody like, yeah, I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> did we concede on the corner? Okay, I don't remember that part. <laughs> but anyway, I just uh, that 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 bravado that he had seemed mm. to have dissipated. I think, and, and I think maybe getting getting uh, kicked out of the Euros a couple of years ago, maybe that had an effect on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there was talk about what the what the Euros did to to Chesney and and both Hart mm-hmm. um, and, and the seasons they had following those those Euro embarrassments. Um, that might have had an impact on him, but you know, I want I want that guy back, the guy that I guess I guess you would say is mad as a hatter. Uh, where I grew up, we'd uh, we'd probably say that boy's crazy, he's a shithouse rat. <laughs> but um, I just I, I like the long term deal. I just I just want the nutter back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me go to Mo next. I completely disagree. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> I do not want the nutter back. All I want is a sensible, disciplined, world class. Brilliant keeper in goal. I do not want him running behind advertising balls up when a game's going on. I'm going for a piss like Lehman or anything like that. I don't want any nutters. I think this season he's been phenomenal. Um, I think we've got the third best defensive record in the league, joint third. Um, uh, I just I I hate all of the shenanigans. You know I'm I, I'm in the North Bank, so um, every game when he's trying to take a player on and do something silly me and the whole of the North Bank let them know exactly what we think and I think the the general consensus is that stop messing around so yeah for me I just want him to be sensible and I think he deserves a contract I think it's the future of our of our goalkeeping position I think he's taken more sticks more stick than he deserves because he's young and goalkeepers mature uh, you know a lot later than outfield players and I, I think we all know that so um, I, I think he's taken unfair stick but this season has been brilliant long may it continue and I hope he continues to get more more sensible. I want. I want a David Seaman head of goal. Leo, you are the uh, part of the goalkeeping brotherhood. Yep. What's your comments? What do you think? Long term deal and so on. Do you think he deserved it? Uh, you know, I, I've been a big critic of his, and you know, I think last year, based off of what he did, I would not have been in favor of a long term deal. But I feel that this year he's gotten off to a much better start. His performances so far this season have been markedly better than pretty much anything he put in last year, uh, barring the last couple months of the season. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset at all about tying him up for a long-term deal. Um, you know, he's shown this year that he's back on the right path of development. And, you know, like Rick was saying, perhaps the Euros kind of, you know, put a little dent in his confidence last year and that it was starting to affect his performance and his uh, his demeanor on the pitch. You know, hopefully he's starting to get a little bit of his swagger back and, uh, you know, he can hit the ground running for the rest of this season. You know, and getting to the whole nutter or not argument, you know, I think you need to have somebody out there that's, I would call it a controlled crazy. You know, they you can't... <laughs> got to be a little bit nuts to even put the gloves on and go out there you know and you got to play without any sense of you know taking care of yourself you got to throw your body out there and just you know go for it all regardless of personal injury and you know you got to be crazy to do that so but at the same time you know you got to have a guy that's got the right kind of mindset that's gonna know his bounds and when to you know come rushing out of goal and when not to uh, I think that Chesney's maybe gotten a little bit more timid 
this year and at times has been a little bit hesitant to come out. It hasn't cost us yet, but there's been a few times where I've kind of questioned what was going through his mind. And, you know, once you make a decision one way or the other, you got to go and you got to commit. You know, you can't second guess yourself a step in. And I've seen him do that a couple of times. Um, but again, it hasn't cost us. So it's just in uh, a little pet peeve of mine. Do you think, though, guys, that um, we could see as he grows older, as he gets more mature, we can he could sort of marry the two states of mind and become a so. sort of a, a, a Lehman, you know, semen kind of, layman-semen kind of hybrid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so to speak. That would be a nice combo, wouldn't it? It definitely would. Take I mean, the best of both of them and mold it into a super keeper. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you think agility-wise, you know, because before you say, you know, he's not as he's not as agile as you'd want him to be. Do you think he's improved in his agility aspect? You know, he seems to be getting down, uh, you know, to make those sort of low saves a lot better now. You know, he seems to be a lot more, a lot more, um, certainly mentally agile as well as physically agile this season. I think um, I don't know what kind of training he's done with Jerry Payton, but um, it's, you know, it's definitely seemed to bear fruit. So far, this I know. It's like you say, this there there are moments where he has a, a there's a ricket or two in there, um, Mo. You know, like uh, against uh, was it Swansea Liverpool comes to mind. Yeah, he got yeah, away with that. One yeah, um, you know. Um, so he has the odd ricket. It's, it, it's there, but he's definitely stepped up. Um, I'm glad he signed a new long term deal. Um, I think him getting dropped uh, for is it Manoni or Flamit Flem- uh, Fabianski last season probably, you know, gave gave him the wake up call he needed. He maybe he was he he became complacent and thought that you know I'm, I'm undroppable. Um, I would still like to see another keeper coming in, especially with Fabianski's deal coming up for the uh, expiry end of the season and Viviana. We <laughs> apart from knowing what he you know how to spell <laughs> his name, no one no one knows anything more about him. He's not been appearing on the bench or anything. So um I don't know what the 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 merits of that deal were, but definitely we need somebody coming in. Um, Harry Harry Redknapp has once again said that you know he's prepared to let Julio Cesar go to achieve his dream of uh, playing in the uh, Brazilian Brazil World Cup. If uh, Cesar and his and his coach, you know, um, you know, come back to the land of the living and start, you know, being a bit more reasonable with their terms. I don't see why not, why we shouldn't sort of uh, go in for somebody like that. But anyway, I suppose that's all for the future. Um, um, he's doing a lot better, Chesley, this season and you'll make that continue. Okay. So let's move on to, um, the imminent return of one Theo, Theodore Walcott. Um, it's been a long time out. I can't remember the last game he played. Was it was it Marseille or someone? I can't remember. Um, it's been two months. We've done really well without him. I think all things considered, we've changed the way we've played. We've, we've adjusted well. Um, but um, he's coming back. What do you think that he he gives us? What we've been missing um, in the in in the last two months? I mean, what kind of impetus do we are we getting from having um, Theo back in the squad? Uh, let me start with you. Uh, Leo? Well, I think that it goes without question that he's going to have a lot more speed than what we've had out on the, on the flanks, and he's got an ability to get behind defenders and really stretch a defense and, and put the, uh, the flanks under extreme pressure, so that'll be a nice change from the way we've had to play, you know, with, you know, I love Santi and 
you know, when Ramsey's had to fill in out there, you know, he's done okay, but they don't have anywhere near the speed and the ability to get down the, the flanks that Walcott does. So having that new dimension added to our game will be nothing but good. And, you know, he's contributed, I don't know how many assists over the last two years. So I'm looking forward to having him back, you know, probably more than anybody yet this season, honestly. I mean, even Wilshire's return isn't as exciting to me as Walcott's. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely just chomping at the bit to get him back in the team. I cannot wait. You know, I think um, the obvious ones are pace and width, and that's what people are looking for with his return, but I think it's actually a hell of a lot more wide-ranging than that. I think that not only does he bring pace and width, but he affects the shape of the uh, opposition when he's in the team compared to when he's not. And the reason being is that they can't, they just simply can't afford to play a high line against us when um, we've got people like Erzin and Cthulhu who are able to slide a pass through, as is Wilshire, uh, to someone with the pace of Walcott. They're going to have to defend deeper to leave less space in behind. And as a result of that, Erzin and Cthulhu will have a lot more room and time and space on the ball in front of the defence and be able to get into that uh, hole between the midfield and the opposition defence to really cause a lot of damage. So Justin, before even before we get on the pitch, just with him in the lineup, I think he's already going to help the team. And once he gets on the pitch, you know he, he got a lot of assists last year, and also he scores very important goals for the clubs. And I think for the club, and I think that's one thing that's um, overlooked in in terms of what he brings. If you look at his statistics, he scores a, a large a chunk of his goals in the first fifteen minutes of games. So these are important important goals. I just um, I can't wait to have him back. I think it's going to make a, a huge huge difference to our season and he gives us a really good plan B that direct style of playing that pace you know people fear it and um, he'll he'll have a point to prove with Townsend doing well for England mm-hmm. to try and get back in that squad so all in all I think it, he, he will give us a brilliant uh, lift and give us impetus to push on you know um, on Gunas World UK Callum wrote a brilliant article about mm-hmm. it and just reading that, I just got excited to have him back. So, you know, I don't think he'll start against Southampton, but I think he'll he'll feature and I'm really looking forward to watching him mm. play. Rick, um, uh, Mo just alluded to Callum's article that he wrote for Gunnar's World and um, on the um, Gunnar Ramble blog. Um, we kind of looked a bit lack- lacklustre against the Man United at Old Trafford. Can we expect... I mean, he has not played a reserve game, um, but he's going into this match day squad how long before we can expect to see him sort of firing at full throttle? I, how long before full throttle? Gosh, that's hard to say. Um, he, he's got to be just excited as hell uh, to be back in the squad. So he's probably lacking a little, you know, timing, a little match timing. But I, I would, I would bet he's so eager to get out there right now that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to put him on in the 60th minute or something. Or well, Arsenal. Arson usually waits to what the 67th is. That is, that's his magic moment. Um, but, uh, I, I just want to echo what everybody else feels. I, I, I think his return is really going to make a difference to this club because, uh, as was said in the article, and I, I think Mo alluded to it as well, is just having him in the lineup makes the other team adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond just, uh, you know, hey, do a man marking job on him. You, you can't do that with Theo because he'll run by you. So you really have to adjust your defense to account for what he has the potential of doing. And I think just that, having that thought in the opposition's mind before the game even starts is huge. It's a huge impact. So even though a lot of people get frustrated with Theo because he's not always consistent, 
I think the the threat that he provides and the the threat against it just in the minds of the other mm. team is worth its weight in gold. And mm. I, I'm really excited about his return. Yeah, I mean, looking at the way he started this season, people were quite frustrated with the fact that he was missing chances. But you know, what? I was taking encouragement from the fact that he was getting into the he was getting into the box, he was getting into those positions, and he was getting shots away. Okay, he wasn't scoring, but you just knew. That with, you know, Edzil, you know, threading those passes through, it would only be a matter of time before Theo got his shooting boots on. I mean, the goal he scored against Marseille showed that. And it was just such a shame that, you know, he's kind of setting back a little bit in terms of, you know, you know, how much, how many goals and assists he would have provided by now. Um, do you think, um, we can expect to see, you know, Theo coming back and 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 getting up against uh, amongst the top goal scorers and top assists for for our team, uh, Mo. Oh yeah, without a doubt, you know, definitely. I think if you look back to um, the game, I think it was against Sunderland. Yeah. You have to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But the way Erzin Walcott linked up, I mean, Erzin, let's face it, he put three or four chances on a plate for Theo, and Theo would have expected to be a bit better with um, a lot better with them chances. I think he's tailor-made for someone with the um, technique and vision of Ozil, and I really do think that he will be laying on chances for him quite regularly. One one thing that a lot of Arsenal fans are expecting to see a lot of in the, in the season now with Walcott being back is Ozil to Walcott to Giroud goal. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to hear that a lot with um, Walcott timing them runs. He, he does time his runs brilliantly. He doesn't get caught offside too often, and Ozil um, finding them runs and. Should we just wait in the middle to tap them, to tap them in? I, I'm, oh God, I'm just really excited to be honest with you to see that. And I think he will have, he'll rack up a lot of goals and a lot of assists by the end of the season. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, good stuff. All right. So going, um, into the weekend's game, it's, it's quite, it's a top of the table clash, isn't it now? Um, Southampton have done really well. They've got one of the best defenses this season. Um, Lalana and, um, Rodriguez and Lambert are forcing their way into the England reckoning. Um, uh, the defense, uh, unheralded really is doing very well. Nathaniel Klein and, uh, the other fellows, it Luke, Luke Ward or somebody Ward on the left hand, Luke Shaw, is it? Luke on the left hand side of one of England's, you know, uh, better young prospects at fullback. You know, they seem quite a solid outfit. Mario, is it Maurizio Pochettino is, has got them playing very well. Um, he does, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, you know, he's got them, he's got them, he's got, a, he's got them working really well. Um, what kind of game do you expect us to, to, to be having on Saturday? Do you think um, it's going to represent a tough game? Do you think uh, we can, you know, we'll beat him by a couple of goals or, or what? What do you reckon, mate? Um, I think it's actually going to be quite a tough game, to be honest with you, because, you know, Southampton aren't, Imposters, they've been playing really, really well. And I think people just assume they'll drop off. And, you know, that might well happen because their squad might not be big enough. Um, but the same could be said for us. And there's no suggestion they're going to drop off starting from Saturday. So I, I think we really have to treat them with a lot of respect. They're up there on merit. Even if you look at their goal difference, you know, often that's a good measure of whether teams are just visiting a certain area in the table or whether they truly belong there. But, in terms of their goal difference because of their amazing defensive record, they're actually um, doing very, very well in all areas of the pitch. It's not like they're getting lucky. They are absolutely, um, you know, competing. So I think it will be a tight game. 
But, uh, you know, at home, I fancy us against anyone. So, of mm. course, I'm going to fancy us against Southampton. I think we will win, but I don't think it will be easy. Sure. Uh, Rick, um, we've responded to, responded very well this season to the three defeats that we've had. We've, when we lost to uh, Aston Villa at the start of the season, we went to uh, Fenerbahce, a very tough place to go, and ran out 3-1 winners, I think. And we lost to... Uh, Chelsea, was it Dortmund next? I can't remember. And then we, you know, we responded, uh, by beating, uh, someone else. I can't remember. And then we beat Liverpool after the Chelsea defeat. Do you expect us to, sh- again, having, uh, lost, just lost to Man United to respond favorably? I do expect us to respond favorably, but, uh, the, the fact that we had an international break in between might mean that they're not, they're not so pent up about that United defeat as they would have been a week ago. Um, they've had distractions since then, so I don't know that it's it's necessarily a, a response to a defeat that is going to bring uh, some good football out of us. I think it's just um, getting back together, having that week go off, getting back together and, and, and playing again is going to get them excited enough, I think, to overcome Southampton. I, I too, expect it to be a very entertaining game. Uh, Southampton has proved to be a very good squad. Um they, they may drop off. Everybody expects them to, but I don't think they're going to drop off that much. I, I, you know, they could they could finish top ten, you know, top half of the table, mm-hmm. and and nobody would have said that three months ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it's just it's just been impressive the displays they've had. So I expect a very exciting game, and I, I do expect us to come out and win. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call our our performance a reaction to a defeat because I think we've had so many distractions in between that. Um, we're just going to depend on their own excitement and their own willingness to win. And they've been, I think, all but all but the United game. They've they've come out against every other team in every other game with that will to to push forward and win. And I, I expect that to return. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo, um, we uh, Rick just touched on uh, the fact that we've had the the international break. Um, and the players may or may not be, not, may or may not have the Man United defeat, um, still, you know, sort of fresh in their memory. They say once you've had a defeat, the best way to respond is, you know, to, to get back out there straight away. Um, do you think uh, that will affect them? The fact that they've had a few weeks, you know, they've had the internationals, their mind will have been taken off of it. Or do you think that, um, you know, we've got, you know, the German, the Germans will be coming back off of defeating England. We've got the French players, um, who are euphoric over qualifying for the World Cup. Um, you know, we've got several players that are coming back in really feeling, you know, um, chipper 100%. You know, there's a feel good factor about anything that will transmit onto the field on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I think that the Man United loss, you know, while it's fresh in our minds because it's important to all of us, and, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's not important to them, but they've had that added distraction of the international matches as well in between. So I think that whatever's happened to them on their break is probably going to be, you know, putting more into their psyche right now than the Man U game. Um, and like I said, I can't remember if it was on the forum or on the podcast after the United game. The way that we played in that game was not anything to be disappointed about. And I don't feel that the players will feel bad about their display in that game. I mean, we went to United and played arguably better than they did, and we were just unfortunate to come out on the wrong side of a loss. You know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But um, getting to Sunday or uh, Saturday against Southampton, you know, they have played very tough 
this year, and they do have a good defense, but I will say that they did allow one of their goals to a keeper. So <laughs> anybody can score. <laughs> so, um, and on the road, they seem to, they tend to play a little bit more compact and a little bit more uh, defensive. I think in the um, five matches they've played on the road this year, they've, they've only had seven goals scored in total by both, uh, both teams. So, uh, you know, if I had to predict for this weekend, I, I think it's going to be a, a tough game. Um, I'd like us to come out on top. I'm going to say, uh, it'll be a hard fought one nil. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Okay. Let's whiz through a couple of uh, AOB topics. Um, can Nabri make the World Cup, the German World Cup squad? Uh, Yogi Lowe said that he's considering taking Serge Nabri to uh, next year's World Cup. Mo, what do you reckon? I think, yeah, of course he can if he continues to play and continues his form. But I think realistically, even if he does make it, he would have to have, you know, a absolutely phenomenal season to make it and also be playing in the World Cup because, you know, you'll remember when Theo went to the World Cup in England when he was young, went there but didn't actually play. So I think even if he gets in the squad, it will be more for experience rather than for him to actually go there and actually make a difference to the German squad. They've got huge, huge strength in depth and I can't see him taking the face of Royce, Muller, people like that on the wings. So um, I, I'd say, you know, it, it, for me, it's, it's a bit of unnecessary hype over him. Even if he goes, he's not going to be um, playing or getting that much game time. Cool. All right, uh, Rick. I, I agree. I don't. I don't know that he's going to get that much game time because we we just discussed Walcott's coming back, and that's where Nabry's been playing. And I don't know how much longer before actually Chamberlain comes back, and those two might press each other for minutes behind Walcott. So I don't know that Nabry's going to get too many more minutes the rest of the year, and and his inclusion in that German squad with with the players they have would would be difficult and, and a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, if he is selected, I just want to, I just hope that the same thing doesn't happen to him that did happen to Walcott, mm. which, you know, Walcott was selected and the expectations went through the roof for that kid. Mm. And when he came back and, uh, you know, hasn't met up to those expectations, everybody's been, for the most part, relatively down on him because mm. he didn't meet these expectations. But mm. what they fail to realize is he has become a very good player. Mm. I don't want that same thing to happen to Navri. I don't mm. want the, the weight of the world to be on his shoulders mm. because he was a young kid that was supposed to do something in a World Cup mm. and, and never got the opportunity. Cool. So, again, I don't I don't expect him to be in the squad. And if he is in the squad, I hope the, the German media is not as frantic as the English media was um, years ago. Okay. Um, Leo, um just the mere mention of, of, of him being considered for the German World Cup, well, that must fill him with so much pride and, uh, the, uh, the will to want to, to, to impress even more. Do you think we could reap the benefits of that so that even if he doesn't get that many games, when he does get a game, we should see him positive, uh, positively impacting the game? I hope so. Uh, it's gotta fill him with a bit of confidence, but I hope that on the flip side that he doesn't start to get disappointed that he's not getting minutes because he thinks he's got a legitimate chance to be selected mm. for the World Cup. Um, you know, not to be a Debbie Downer, but I could see that happening. You know, he, he's now got the, uh, idea in his mind that, you know, I'm going to go to the World Cup this summer and be a star mm-hmm. and then sits on the sidelines for the next three months and doesn't get a minute. You know, I could see that really having a negative impact on his psyche. So, um, it's going to be a bit of man management from Banger to keep his expectations in reality. Uh, I honestly don't see a way that he gets selected. You know, Jeremy's got a pretty tough squad. He's young. He's not going to get that many minutes at Arsenal. 
and it's early in his career, so I don't think it's the right time for it, like we've already touched on. So we'll see, though. Cool. All right. Going on. Um... Just a quick one, G. You know, unfortunately for Nabry, we don't really have the squad to send him out on loan, but that could potentially be the answer to his, um, his lack of minutes. problem in, in mm. trying to get into the German squad. Mm. But, you know, I think Arsenal have got to look at their own squad and, you know, we, we need him as an option to be our squad. I think that can support that. Sure. Okay. Um, just want to say this. Thank goodness the Fra- Vive la France, France, <laughs> France qualified. Can you imagine the uh, French media machine uh, cranking into gear had they not qualified and, you know, uh, Wenger not signing his new contract? You could imagine the uh, rumour, the rumour mill, you know, going into overdrive, you know, suggesting that, you know, um, he's, he's set to replace the Champs, and also equally, thank goodness that they did qualify because uh, they won't they won't focus on Laurent Koscielny's uh, sending off in the first leg. Because you can imagine the French being who the kind of people they are, they would have crucified him, they'd have put him on a pyre like they did Joan of Arc, wouldn't they? Oh, um, we'd have had to get him a, a subscription to a, a costume store. I think <laughs> he'd had to hide. <laughs> you know. Um, one last question before we go on to rent um, the thirty-second uh, rent. Um, Recently, Cristiano Ronaldo announced that he was building a museum about himself. If you had the money to build a museum about yourself, what would you put in that museum about yourself? Mo? You know what, I'm sorry, but listen, I always prefer, um, you know, great sportsmen or great people who have got humility. So I'm not even going to waste my breath talking about such a (laughs) self-obsessed idiot going to make a museum about himself. When there's museums like, you know, the the Anne Frank Museum or the National History Museum, who, which muppet in their right mind would go to that? Do you know what? I just don't, I don't don't even want to be part of this conversation. (laughs) That could have been your 32nd rant, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. So are we going to do Twitter of the Week? Does anybody have a Twitter of the Week? Or should we just go straight into the 32nd? I got one. Who's your, who's your Twitter? Ronaldo. Twitter of the week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a Twitter of the week that could fold into my run. Right. Okay. Do you want to? Do you want to? All right. Let me. Uh, has everybody got a, a rant? First of all, has everyone got a thirty-second rant? I, I do not. Okay. So, so we'll go with Mo first, and then on. I'll lend them my. I'll lend them my thirty seconds. They can go forty-five. Cool. All right then. So uh, Mo, um, you got thirty seconds to spit it out. So get on your soapbox and rant away. Joseph Simunic, Croatia player, had the playoff against Iceland, they won it, and then he got on the mic and he was chanting to the crowd, and the flipping idiot decided to um, start doing some Nazi chants, some pro-Nazi chants. I mean, that's stupid enough in itself, and he's my Twitter of the week for that reason, but he only got fined £2,600, and it's actually for spreading racial hatred. I cannot believe such a, a puny penalty for pro-Nazi chants and spreading racial hatred. You know... FIFA need to get their act together. I'm, I'm absolutely sick of these, you know, disproportionate punishments for such heinous, disgusting behaviours. So that's my run of the week. Cool. When will they ever flip and learn? Right, okay. And Leo? Mine's not nearly as important and substantial as that, but <laughs> I, I hate international football. I, you know, I'm sorry. Maybe it's because I'm over here in the U.S. and our national team's nothing to really get too excited about, but the disruptions throughout the season... You know, the injuries to players, and then usually it's not that much fun to watch. Even the World Cup, the, the group stages are boring. 
everybody's playing not to lose. Nobody's really going out there to win. It's not as frantic as the EPL. Uh, I just, I get no enjoyment out of watching that at all. And fortunately, over here, I had access to some of the early rounds of the FA Cup and actually enjoyed watching that far more than any of the international matches. Great stuff. Great stuff. You were both bang on 45 seconds, so that's the first. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting better. We're getting better. All right, so let's go on to our predictions for Saturday's game. Leo, I know you already predicted 1-0. Are you going to stick with that prediction? I am going to stick with that prediction, and to name my first goal scorer, I'm going to say that it will be Walcott after coming back <laughs> off the bench. Cool. All right. Uh, Mo, yours? It could well be Walcott. You know, all boys often score against their old clubs. Mm-hmm. But based on the fact that um, 20% of Southampton's goals conceded this year have been from the opposition goalkeeper, I'm going to go for Wojciech. No, I'm not really. Um, <laughs> I think it will be, be... Oh, God. You know, they've only conceded five goals in the whole of the season, best defensive record in the league. So I'm thinking Arsenal will score two, but, you know, that's 40% of their current tally. But still, I'm going to go for 2-1 to Arsenal. I think it will be a close game and 2-1 to Arsenal. Um, first goal scorer, I think it will be Santi Cazorla. Okay, and you, Rick? Uh, I was going to say 2-1 as well, mm-hmm. um, and I'll stick with that. I'll stick with 2-1 to the Arsenal. Um Goal scorer. Gosh, I've said Gathorla for the last two weeks and he hasn't scored. Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, uh, Giroud, the obvious choice. Cool. All right. I'm going to go 3 0 Arsenal. Yeah. Um, oh. I, I would like to amend mine. If the wind is blowing, I'm going to go with Chesney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go 3 0 Arsenal. I think we're going to tear him a new arsehole. And um, my first goal score is going to be Aaron Ramsey. Simple. Cool. Cool. All right, then, fellas, that's been that's a wrap. It's been another. Um, it's just great to get back to domestic football, really, isn't it? Really, I mean, fucking Amen. Hell. it's really been quite a hard slog and just into Lala's international break. Um, so uh, we've got them coming thick and fast now. So anyway, we'll be back again. You'll need to take a. You'll need to take a golf vacation during international breaks, like For I do. Real. For real, and then what? And then uh, when you uh, a drunken moment, just come on the blog and then <laughs> start oh, writing gosh, some madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy, if I can do that right over again. Am I right in saying that there's no more international breaks till March? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Nice. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so you know, we can. Just uh, one thing I wanted to get in there, lads. Mm. Uh, a congratulation to oh. our guest last week, Robin. Sure. He, he um. Arsenal Fan TV won an award today at the Football Blogging Awards. The Much f- deserved. F- I think his best male blog, wasn't he? Yeah, best male. He failed to uh, tell us what award he was going for. I know, I know. When he was on. So, yeah, <laughs> best male. Obviously, it's all getting to his head now. Isn't it? <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah, long may it continue. Yeah, really hopefully, deserved. Yeah, hopefully yeah, keeps the, the, the good work. Absolutely fantastic news on that score. Okay, so that's been Aguna Ramble, Aguna's World Podcast. That's that's me, your host, Jizza, saying good night and good night from uh, Leo. Good night. Good night from Rick. Good night, folks. Do you still take Tottenham, Mo? I've been eight times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, guys. See you next week. You have been listening to the Guna Ramble, a Guna's World Podcast. <laughs>